everyone, and welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect our favorite music, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, pop open a cold one, and let the debate begin. Welcome back to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, with my co-host, Chris Kay. Each week, we discuss and dissect the hard rock and heavy metal bands we all know and love. We'll also discuss some bands and albums you may not know that you should definitely be listening to, as well as giving you our big four on various bands, albums, and musicians. This week on Episode 9, we'll be discussing live albums. We'll talk about some of our favorites, some of our not-so-favorites, and some in-betweens. Later in the episode, we'll do our best of the best with this week's Big Four Anthems. And we've also got another What Should You Be Listening To? But before we begin, let's recap what we discussed last week on Episode 8. Last week, we talked about when did the band or artist lose you and did they get you back? We spoke in depth about Creator, Iron Maiden, Kiss, Arch Enemy, In Flames, and Metallica. If you missed last week's episode or any of the previous ones, you can stream or download all of our episodes on your favorite podcast platforms. And don't forget to rate us or leave us a review. Chris, what is our big four? Oh, what was our big four last week? Uh, last week, our big four was intro songs. To see what we picked as our big four, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And when you do, let us know what you think of our picks. And if you think you can do better, let us know. Sounds like a plan. All right. Now on to this week's topic, live albums. Live albums for me are really, really cool. I have been basically a fan of live albums since day one because that was the first record I ever got. So let's talk about the first record I ever got, and that was Kiss Alive 2. We're going to talk about Kiss Alive and Alive 2, but my first one was Kiss Alive 2. I was eight years old when I got that. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, that can definitely make an impact. If, if it's yeah. the first album you ever hear... I mean, that's your groundbreaking moment. Oh, yeah. I mean, I spoke before about the commercial that I saw back in October of 1977 when Kiss was uh, promoting Kiss Alive 2. Just watching on the bombs and the smoke from Ace Frehley's guitar and Gene Simmons' blood and the drum riser going up, all that stuff just immediately hooked me. There was nothing about the music that I even recognized because I never heard it. It was all the pageantry. It, it was the- all the pageantry. And then you go and buy... The double album, I had my aunt buy it for me. I didn't have her buy it for me. I asked her nicely. (laughs) You go out there and you buy that. Yeah, go buy it. I'm nine. (laughs) (laughs) So the I opened the record and you open it to the most bombastic picture you can think of. Is you know all three guys on their risers. All looks like he's pointing at the at the audience. Bombs going off everywhere. The drum risers at max height. Uh, there's fireworks going off in the background. That picture just it just captures you. It, it's to to see that as an as as an eight year old kid, like wow, this is awesome. And then you put on the, the the first record, and you hear the guy screaming, "You wanted the best, and you've got the best, the hottest band in the world." Kiss. I mean, it's just this echo, and it's, and all of a sudden the the guitar riffs for Detroit Rock City come on. That is 
by far one of the, those things that just you will never forget the rest of your life. It's, it's very funny. You were so enticed to buy it without even really hearing much of the music. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's it's very telling of their marketing skills. They almost look like superheroes to a degree mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on a lot, especially a lot of albums like Destroyer. Uh, Love Gun. They're all kind of standing there heroically, yeah. you know, jumping towards you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, those are those are kind of cool images to see. It definitely entices the buyer. I believe it was the year before they had done the Marvel comics. Oh in, yeah, that's true. In their yeah. own blood, they had they put uh, their own blood into the red ink. So they did all these things. They were superheroes to young kids, but for me, it's like I had never heard of them before. So that was the first time ever being exposed to them. So it was it was quite unique. So let's break down this album a little bit so we can talk about the things that we like, dislike, and other things about the album. Let's give a little background on it. It was recorded during the uh, Love Gun Tour for Kiss. Which is my favorite Kiss album. It's It's one of my favorites as well. I think they had reached a point where they were still kind of a cross between production quality and still being a little bit fresh and raw still. I mean, yeah, they're there's several albums into their career. I mean, obviously they're in the better those first three albums the production wasn't fantastic on. No. But they definitely got better. That was all with Casablanca, right? Yeah, everything was with Casablanca all the way up through Creatures of the Night, but by the time they time they were they well, up to the Elder. With the Elder and Creatures of the Night, they were on Casablanca, but they had signed Polygram um, had purchased Casablanca or it fell under their, their wing. Ah, okay. So they were being distributed by Polygram. So Casablanca essentially became non-existent at that point after after the, the 70s were over because Disco died and out went Casablanca. Gotcha. Well, I mean, it, you, you can definitely tell a difference in production quality between those first three albums mm-hmm. and this stuff later. But once they got to Love Gun, it was like they had become a lot cleaner but it didn't sound so produced that it was still mechanical sounding right i mean they had a really polished album with with destroyer and then they brought in eddie kramer i believe it it was eddie kramer who did rock and roll over i know he did love gun the albums went from polished to a lot more raw which there's nothing wrong with that i kind of like the raw sound myself yeah i do yeah i mean that's always my preference honestly so getting back to the album the live album Eddie Kramer was one the the one who produced it, and so they did they 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 set aside some show dates that they were going to do. They recorded the shows as typical Kiss when you see them live. They make a bunch of mistakes, specifically Paul. He's always jumping. He's always running around. He's always just barely getting back to the mic. He's always pulling off the mic. Um, Gene Simmons is a little bit more of a consummate professional, so he'd do his thing, and he doesn't jump around as much. He moves a lot, but he doesn't jump as much as Paul does. His recording was probably cleaner. I mean, I can't say for sure. Yeah. But essentially, they recorded the live shows, and then the idea behind the album was to make it a collection of songs that were not on their first Alive. We're going to talk about Alive in a minute. It was a collection of songs that weren't on the first live album that came out literally uh, a year and a half earlier. So it, it would, they had difficulty in that because their regular concert set list included songs that were back then, like Black Diamond, Rock and Roll All Night, Firehouse, and songs like that. So they couldn't use those songs, or they didn't want to use those songs. They ended up 
recording songs during sound check. It seems pretty crazy not to use uh, rock and roll all night. I mean, that just it's such a big hit. Mm-hmm. But I understand they were trying not to do right. They didn't stuff. want to repeat anything. Yeah, which is which is really a great marketing technique too, because they had enough good songs to fill a whole another album and no overlap. Right, exactly, I mean, and and what makes was, you have to buy both? Yeah, exactly. And what what I was I was reading about the other day was that Kiss had eight. If you count at, with the release of Love Gun, excuse me, with the release of Kiss Life Two, they had eight albums on the market, all released within three years. So seventy four, they had two albums. That's a lot. Seventy five, and then if you think about it. In 1978, they bombarded the the market with five more Kiss-related albums. So that brought it up to 13. I mean, 13 records of Kiss out at the same time. That's I mean, that's a lot. And in, in within, I mean, from, from 74 to 78, four years. And that's that's insane. And then you know, Dynasty comes out in 79. From that point on, it went to pretty much every year uh, something came out, uh, which is typical, but. Regardless, Kiss Alive 2, like we said, 15 different songs were on Kiss Alive. They also had Side 4, which had five studio tracks that uh, were brand new. Unbeknownst to the public, Kiss was having a tremendous amount of problems with Ace and Peter in the background. It comes out years later. Ace doesn't play on any song except for Rocket Ride. And Bob Kulick was the one who played lead guitar on all the songs, uh, the three other songs, because the fourth song, Any Way You Want It, Paul Stanley played all the guitars on that. Going back to Alive now, with the two albums out, Alive being the one that broke Kiss, was a statement by the band. I mean, it, if you listen to the album, it is completely different than any of the, the, song, the, any of the recordings on the first three albums. Kiss, the first Kiss album wasn't re- done bad. It wasn't produced badly or anything, but you could tell it's very dated. It's 1974. It sounds like a nice The instrumentation, like the, the, the guitar tone's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was typical for the, for the time. Hotter Than Hell, I don't know what happened. I don't know if they felt that they wanted to get heavier, but the production is muddy and terrible. It sounds like crap. Dressed to Kill... Goes back to similar similar sound to the first Kiss album, but a little bit slicker, but still raw. And that that actually is not it's terrible it's the sound. best of those first three sound wise, right? But still not where they got later. Exactly. Now those three albums, you know, they basically they kept putting them out because they weren't selling, and but their live shows were were you know a, a can't miss type of event. So they came up with the idea. It's really an odd phenomena. It is. It is. But then again, I mean, you saw how over the top it is. It was one of those things where we have to see this band, but no one knows the music because they, a lot of people just didn't care. So just they finally, you know, and Casablanca is about bankrupt at this point. To the point where I believe it was Bill O'Coin, who is the who was their manager. Yeah. Neil Bogart couldn't, put, couldn't front the money up. Neil Bogart was the owner of Casablanca. Bill O'Coin, their manager, fronted the money for the recording of Kiss Alive. They pick out four shows or something like that. The one, the biggest one being Detroit Cobo Hall. So mind you, they're Detroit. Their regular draw is about two, three thousand, four thousand. They go to Detroit's Cobo Hall and they sell out a 12,000 seat arena. I mean, that's... It's a big step up, yeah. It's a big step. And, it, and I'm going to mention something else like that with UFO a little bit later on. 
when we talk about that their live album, very similar phenomenon about them. No pun intended. <laughs> that's right. I, you know what? I wasn't even thinking about that. But that's right. Uh, no pun intended. They record these shows. The Detroit Cobo Hall being the, the big one. Essentially, when they were when they were finished recording, it didn't sound good. They didn't like it at all. So there's tons of rumors that the show was re-recorded in the studio, stuff like that. And, and I've read and I've tried to read stuff about you know what happened. And essentially, according to Eddie Kramer, a couple times. All the recordings are legit, except they had to redo some overdubs, uh, some some missed notes. Peter Chris came out and said that the only thing that's on that album that's legit is the drum tracks. So there's been a lot of, of, of confirmation about that. I can't possibly believe that they redo every single thing but the drum tracks. It seems a bit excessive. It, but you, especially you when know. they said that they didn't have the budget to, to go in there and record stuff. So they had some studio yeah. time. I believe there was probably some vocals that were redone. Okay, But it, even that, none of the rap that Paul did could possibly have been done over. I mean, maybe. Who knows? I mean, Kramer himself said that the only thing that's existing from the live recordings was Peter Chris's drum tracks so i mean there's a little like you said there's a little confirmation there there is it just seems so hard to believe that yeah. that's could be that could be the only thing that's that's recorded live from the shows but you know what who's to say the point about the album you know kiss alive and kiss Alive too is that they were testaments for the time and period and what's incredible about them is the energy that is given off by those records if you listen to the two intros you know one says you wanted the best and you've got the best. The hottest band in the land, Kiss. I mean, it was real kind of a guy just going up there, grabbing a the mic and saying it. But when they did Kiss Alive 2, I mean, the guy's, you know, deep voice screaming. I think it was one of their security guards that you see in a lot of their, their older videos. You wanted the best and you've got it. The hottest band in the world. I mean, he emphasized He belted out, yeah. Yeah, you know, and then he yells, Kiss, and the, the echo and the bombastics and the things go off. And that stuff happening... On that, as soon as you listen to it, I mean, you could see the difference from one to the other. But both have this incredible energy. The way the songs are played, the way that they're just, you can feel that those songs are different than what was on those first three records or on the second set of three records. The guitar tone's better, for sure. I mean, with Kiss Alive, I know the songs from Kiss Alive 2 better. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're the, they're the bigger hits. You know, right. They're off of the Love Gun, Destroyer. They're bigger hits, mm -hmm. period. I didn't really like a lot of the early recordings from those first three albums, but the versions that are on Alive are a lot better to me. The versions on Alive mm -hmm. are a lot better. Yeah. Yes, oh, for sure. Yeah, the, the um, obviously Rock and Roll Night changed everything. It, yeah, it sounds it, like a, not a completely different song, but it sounds uh, a lot heavier. Oh, yeah. It sounds a lot heavier. There's a guitar solo in it where the original Which doesn't have a guitar better, solo. Yeah. Very reminiscent to what happened with Cheap Trick when they did Live at Budokan, talking oh, about yeah. another live album. The producer for their studio album, when they went to mix I Want You to Want Me, he threw in keyboards, he dropped the drums down, he flattened out the snare drum. I mean, it was... That's I mean, why you, like any, any collection always has the live version. Sometimes, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, with with, with uh, I want you to want me. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. The, oh, for they, sure. the studio version is horrible. Mm -hmm. The keyboard sound is is way up in the mix. I mean, it's yeah. I, it was funny because I always heard the live version, mm -hmm. and then I went kind of on a quest back when MP, before MP3s. I was trying to find the original studio version, and and I did, and I was like, 
what a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No wonder they don't. They yeah. only play the live version. Yeah. The, the live version is awesome. The studio I've listened to it once, and I've never listened to it again. It's just like it's not even worth it. Yeah. Yes. The 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 songs change so much. Cold Gin comes across differently. All of them across the board. All sixteen songs come across so differently from when they, you know, the way they appeared on the first three Kiss albums. And then the same thing happened with Kiss Alive too. Those songs completely, no, not completely different. They're not just, completely. They're, they're just mean, played with so much more energy. They're not necessarily played faster. There's a little bit of speed on some of the songs. Yeah. Like God of Thunder specifically, that was rushed through compared to the Destroyer version. The Destroyer version sounds good. It's a slow I, I like the live version of that one better because it is faster. Mm-hmm. The, the, the God of Thunder is kind of a slow, plodding yes. song. And, and yeah, I, I never liked it. When I heard the studio version, I'm like, this is weird. It's so yeah. slow. But, I mean, Detroit but, Rock City. Yeah, I get what you're saying about the energy. Right. I mean, it, it, you can't capture the same thing in the studio that you that you see live no because you feed off the fans yeah i mean that doesn't mean that the live version is better or worse it just means it's a different vibe you know like you don't want to go to a concert and they're all just standing still playing the songs like in a studio right you know exactly you don't want that yeah so it's the it was a perfect testament and a perfect way to to capture the band's performance especially back in that day kiss was at their best at that point that was peak kiss and they captured that performance so let's start with Kiss Alive. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the mix? The mix, I think the mix is good because everything is is really clear as far as listening to the, the guitars, drums. I mean, the bass back in those days were never really an important thing, but you could always hear it. He plays with his pick, so it's something that will always come through. But at the same time, it's still not super in the mix. It's a lot more prevalent on Kiss Alive too. Yeah, I I agree. The mix to me, it's really. It's distinguishable. Mm-hmm. You can hear each part. The bass, obviously, like you said, is a little kind of lost in there, which right. is kind of a, a sad thing because Gene is really a great bass player. He is. And his, especially the later songs and the, that appear on Kiss 2, or Kiss Alive 2, they're stronger bass lines. Yes. So, yes, you can hear that better. But uh, as far as that, I, I agree. The mix is, is better. It Definitely than the albums that they come from, the songs come from. Oh, for sure, for sure. All right. Does it feel live? Do you feel like you're you're at the concert watching it? <laughs> it was funny. The first time I went to a concert when I saw Iron Maiden, I didn't know what to expect as far as fans were concerned. While you're there, it sounds like what you hear on Kiss Alive 2. You hear all the ambient people cheering and yelling and screaming. So... But this is one. My concert experience for, for Iron Maiden tells me that Alive, Kiss Alive, seems a little bit just kind of very reminiscent of the day. Not a lot of excitement. It's, it, you know, it's, it's a crowd, yeah, when it's done. And I think they forced it a little bit, but not as much as Kiss Alive too. Okay. You see, well, I mean, I, I, I'm not old enough to have gone to concerts in the 70s. Well, I, neither was I. <laughs> I never went to a concert in the 70s. Understood. But um, I'm just talking about what and I hear. 80s, so I don't know. Yeah, right. I don't know exactly how it would have played out from what I've seen in concerts, what I've heard, even when I when, when I was in, very young. Mm-hmm. It, it just comes off as kind of odd because a lot of live albums, what, what ends up happening is the song starts and it's like they fade the crowd out and then they bring them back in. And, mm-hmm. and, and that works dynamically. But sometimes it almost feels like it's not, they're not really there. 
Right. And I feel that way about Kiss Alive, mostly because I didn't have that experience. I didn't, you know, come into it with the mystique still there. Mm -hmm. I already was aware of some of the editing things, and I was almost listening for it. Right. Which is, for you, it's different. You picked up the album well before all that kind of came out. Yeah, the, the, the way the crowd seems to me is you can tell that there's lulls. Mm-hmm. In it, especially you know, in between songs where he starts talking and he's just you just you can hear you know a, a Paul playing his his guitar, which a you bit. should be able to hear the crowd you know kind of there. You, yeah, you can hear some ambient crowd. Some, yeah. A lot of times it was lowered, but you also have to think other than Cobo Hall, they were only playing two or three thousand seater yeah. uh, venues. So a lot of those times, those guys don't know but them. It seems as well. like sometimes there's. 400,000 people there. Right. And and that's <laughs> that that's what Cobo Hall uh, was about, you know, let's bring the crowd in. The idea of raising up the the crowd at the end of the song is is meant to be like they were polite, they weren't so rowdy and then, you know, the song's over and it's like I mean it's it's natural tendency. They just yeah. it, it, the the recording makes it seem more extreme. Yeah, I, I and I'm not saying it's bad per se. I just think it was executed better on Kiss Alive 2. Oh, Alive 2 is just constant yeah. <laughs> all the way through, yeah. which is almost like, like being, at a being show. there at, yeah. a, at a show. All right, so what did you think of the set list? For what it was worth, I mean, it was all their hits that they had at the time. So I, I like the way they started off with, with uh, Deuce and then goes into Strutter. The weaker moments of that album come off of, of that first record, uh, excuse me, not the first record, the first side. Hotter than hell. I think it t- yeah, it takes a little while to get going. Yeah, I mean, me. when it, once they get up to Firehouse at the end of the, at the end of side one, you know that's where Gene you know blows his fire, and uh, at the end of the at the end of the siren, going into side two where they ha- where they play you know nothing to lose and Parasite and Come on and Love Me and She, those songs they're not big hits for them, but they were concert staples. She was there was the guitar solo. Come on and love me was a cool song that came off of uh, Just to Kill. It's a low, but they were steady songs, so it wasn't so bad. Yeah, you know. And then there was the guitar intro for Rock Bottom that was played side three. Then they went Hundred Thousand Years in Black Diamond. I mean, they kicked it in gear at that point. And from the rest of the album on, it's it's super high energy at that. You point. You know, what's kind of weird to me is is it almost feels like the the order of the last few songs is not how it should have been. Um, mm-hmm. I almost feel like they kind of reversed how it should go. Like Black Diamond to me feels like that, like Ender, you know, like they that's what they should have ended that. Because I when I get when I get that's that's the side three, right? Right. Like so that when I get to that song, I almost feel like that's the end of the show, and then it keeps going, which almost like an encore. Right. It is. That's what but, it's supposed to be. Yeah. Because I mean, I think Cold Gin comes across as as an encore. Yeah, I get that. In Rock and Roll Night now. What I feel like now is not rock and roll all night. After Colgin was rock and roll all night. Oh, okay. I, I'm thinking the end of the yeah rock and roll. Let me go. Yeah, let, let me go rock and roll. Man, I don't know. Backwards. I tell you what, I have never gotten into that song. It's fairly catchy, but it just seemed like a weird one to end it on to me. And they still do that. They yeah. still play that song. I mean, it, it, they end on rock and roll all night. But now, even on this current tour, they're playing that song somewhere towards either the end of the show before the encore or part of the encore i just don't get it i've never gotten why that song is so well liked by the band i don't know if it's just where they get to let loose and they don't have to worry about playing too many complicated notes i don't know what the deal is to me 
It's not one of my favorite tracks. Maybe I'm I'm just a weird Kiss fan that doesn't like that song as much. I have never gotten into that song, and I I think to me, Rock and Roll All Night is where should where Kiss Alive should have ended, or they should have traded it and put the bombastic ending of Black Diamond. Whatever, I don't know. Let me go. Rock and Roll kills it for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are you gonna say? That's that's what they decided to do. Uh, so, what do you think is the uh, highlight of the album? Oh, the highlight of, of Alive for me is probably Cold Gin. Okay. Uh, I like the way that just the whole intro where he was talking about the vodka and the alcohol and orange juice and the, the, the whole rap there at the beginning. And then going in, he's got a really cool extended guitar solo that he puts in there that has, has a really high trill at the end. It's not part of the regular guitar solo so i thought it was really cool because it, it, it it's an extension and it adds to it and i'm like that's just, that's a pretty cool thing and i just think the whole the whole thing it was it was a, just a lot of attitude there was a lot of attitude on it and and it just came across real well and so I, to me that's the highlight of of a live i think uh for me is black diamond i mm-hmm. think it's just it's just such a big song it, it's got a lot of uh development and emotion in it there that which just bleeds into the you know everything that follows right you know it, that's why i said it was is kind of like where i felt like it should end because it was such a huge you know it oh, just yeah. felt like the, it felt like that was the end well, you, you hear know, all the, the bombs climax. go off yeah. and stuff like that yeah yeah so it, it technically was and then they come out for an encore yeah there you go <laughs> so, but if it would have ended there i would not have been disappointed no so. not at all so, so what do you grade the album oh definitely like a b plus Back then it was an it was an A it was an A plus because it Kiss was now on the map. Yeah. But when you you sit back you 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 really take a good look at it. To me it's it's a B plus. I mean the energy brings it up there a lot. Someone could sit there and say yeah it's an A album. Realistically you think about it to me it's a it's a B plus. I think uh, to the hardcore fan the hardcore fan's always gonna say it's an A. Um, me being very objective and not being a you know Kiss Army member, I'm gonna say a B B minus. I mean it's it's a great show of what it was for the time, but it doesn't hold up to me as well as as the the follow up. Right now, Kiss Alive Two is a different animal altogether. Yeah, I mean, and, and to me, I gotta take points away from because, like I said, I don't feel like it feels truly live. So it it's never going to be an, an A for me. Right. Okay. Fair enough. That's our opinion. And we're sticking to it. <laughs> Fight me. <laughs> That's right. So what what about Kiss Alive 2? All right. Uh, same questions. What do you think of the mix? Uh, to me, the mix was a little bit better. Since the recording is different, it, it comes across differently. Mm-hmm. I like the drum sound throughout the album. It doesn't sound flat. Um, although the bass drum is not as punchy, but you can hear it. If, yeah, if you know what I mean, or even more so, you can feel it a little bit more. The bass guitar, Gene's bass, is a little bit more prevalent in it. Um, you can definitely hear it better, especially you know Love Gun, um, right? And uh, yeah. when he plays uh, Christine Sixteen, it, you can hear oh, yeah. the bottom end on that intro. Um, so yeah, so it's it actually it's kind of weird. In God of Thunder, it kind of gets lost a little bit the bass, especially the intro. When you hear it, it doesn't sound like a bass, you know. Yeah, so. That- that whole song feels very fast and muddy to me. Mm-hmm, right. So, Although I still like it better than the original recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Does the album feel live to me? I believe 
I mean, how, how can it not? I mean, you're listening to a crowd literally throughout the entire thing. Yeah, even if it's fabricated to some degree, it does give the impression of a live album. For I mean, sure. Yeah, or a live concert, better, mm-hmm. is what I'm, I'm trying to say. You know, just sitting there, especially when you go to a big stadium or uh, like a pavilion kind of thing, like we have it here in Houston, we have the Cynthia Woods Pavilion. It's got a different vibe because you hear the open air, you hear everybody shouting, and, it, and it's it's more ambient than it is, you know, when it's a more intimate setting where it's personal. Right. And that's definitely the feel you get with Alive too. Is that you're in some kind of big uh, open air? Doesn't it feel windy? Yeah, it's it's a weird thing that you get that vibe that it's windy. Well, yeah, it feels it feels like the crowd is kind of far away. Mm -hmm. Like you've got that cocktail party effect going on, where you know you're if you're familiar with the term, you're at a party, but you can hear the person talking in front of you, even though it's really loud. It's because your your ears focus in on. That you know whatever they're they're actually devoting their attention to, right? And so it has that feel where you hear the band, they're there, but you, you know, all this ambient sound is going on that's very much like you're at the show. Yeah, that's definitely the vibe you get from that album. All right, so uh, what about the set list? I like the set list. I like the set list a lot. I wish that would have been what they actually played. In reality, that wasn't what they played. And that was part of the issue with making the uh, alive too. Because what they, do you mean by that? In, for instance, they played rock and roll all night. They played Black Diamond. They played Hotter Than Hell, or, or uh, yeah, they played Hotter Than Hell. Or one of those songs. They also had songs like Take Me that were from those se- the second set of three albums, the '76 and '77 albums, um, that they didn't use. They they played Do You Love Me that they didn't use. So there were songs that were not used on the album that were played that were not repeated and there were songs that they played in concert that were repeated because that's just you know they didn't play just their those second set of three albums so sequentially they were playing uh, a detroit rock city and king of the nighttime world at during the destroyer tour but then rock and roll over tour they they changed the set around a little bit and then the love gun tour they opened with i stole your love so what you hear on side three, when I Stole Your Love comes, it's literally the beginning of a concert. Yeah, you know, that's so, interesting. And that might have a lot to do with why there's so much super high energy on that song. It almost feels like the, the concert starts all over again because you come off of Tomorrow and Tonight kind okay. of down, and then I Stole Your Love comes in, and it sounds like a concert starting again, almost. And that's because that was the concert starter for the Love Gun Tour. Which is kind of smart in a way, because it, it's like sometimes when you're at a big event, the energy doesn't carry all the way through those first couple of things. Mm-hmm. The crowd's so excited, they're you know they're not drunk yet, so they're <laughs> so, so they're really excited. But sometimes when you get to the midpoint, it's like yeah, there's, there's they have to do something. Lull. Yeah, they have right. to do something to raise that that energy. And if it goes too long, then they can't get it back. Well, that that kind of changes the feeling when they're that energy the crowd energy the that mm-hmm. that's being presented to you is is kind of restored there the midpoint. Right. so the way the album flows to me is is a perfect example of what a legitimate concert would be like yeah you have the guitar solo and you come down to a a, a, a ballast a slower ballad than the guitar solo and then you got that, that tomorrow tonight that hooky catchy song yeah and then it's literally just, the concert starts all over again they have the start uh, i stole your love and they go just slow it down again then it's the drum solo. And then it just goes straight up from there with I Want You and, and Shout It Out Loud to end it. 
I liked that set list. I wish that would have been the set list, but that wasn't the way it, it went down. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's the set list for this the con the, the the album the album right you know it, it maybe when you saw the show at the time it wasn't the same experience but, no it wasn't but you know but this is but the album is also for a lot of people that weren't going to the show no it was a souvenir yeah, yeah. it was a souvenir it was meant to be now you've got the second group of three albums this is what we're playing you know and it, it worked yeah especially with all the stuff that they that they brought inside it with the or tattoos it, or, the- or it does what it did for you where you pick up the album maybe that's the first thing you heard and then, oh, I got to go to the show now. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So what do you grade the album? That's an A-. minus. A-? minus. Yeah. Okay. A-, minus A. I even like the songs on side four. Kiss considers them throwaways, but I like them. You know, Paul doesn't like the songs that he, he wrote. But, you know, Rocket Ride was a standout track. You know, it was his second Ace Freely song that anybody's heard uh, that he sang because he hit Cold Gin is his song. Uh, Strange Ways is his song. But he's, the first one he sang was Shock Me. Second one he sings is Rocket Ride. So you got this idea that Ace can, can write a song and he can sing. Yeah. Paul Stanley was in a, in another world and he was just putting out anything he could. I like I like Paul Stanley and Ace Frehley's writing the best probably of the of the two guys. I mean of the four guys in the band. I like their style of writing. Mm, there's there's something that I like about Gene, but it, it had to be like when he decided to be overtly or really out there sexually, it it was weird. But when he, but <laughs> I mean, I would say so for a, well, like, well, like larger than life is 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 very sexual, but it's a really good song. Calling Doctor Love is sexual song, but it's a really good song. But then you got creepy songs like Christine Sixteen. You it, know, <laughs> that was always kind of a creepy song to me. I mean, it's yeah. and then it's kind of obvious that. Something weird is yeah, going on there. Exactly. And then some of the other songs that don't make it, you know, that are that are more like, you know, filler deep tracks on the albums. Gene just kinda he doesn't hide it, but at the same time it doesn't come across very well. Yeah. So they don't get played or whatever, you know. And, but, the, that's that there's a fine line that has to be struck with lyrics that need to be subtle. Mm-hmm. But kind of obvious enough that you can figure it out. And sometimes, yes, it's a little bit overt and obvious what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris has never yeah. been subtle when it comes to sex. Anything. Let's put the X in sex. That's subtle. <laughs> you make me rock hard. <laughs> 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 Nothing subtle about anything they write. Yeah, I mean, there's certain, like Love Gun, again, to go back to the same song. It's kind of obvious what they, what they're talking about. But the, the lyrics don't explicitly say anything. It's all implied. Yeah. You know, and that's like, what I mean by the subtlety. Like yeah. Rocket Ride from Ace Freely. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Um, so for me, just not being as huge of a Kiss fan, I like the set list a lot better than the, the first one. Yeah, again, you know, there's just the ebbs and flows that just don't do it for me. But yeah, I like that it's it's got more punch and it stays consistently kind of exciting. I got to go with like a B. Okay, that works. I guess maybe because it's it's my first that it'll always have that extra. Oomph oh, to absolutely. It, so. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always that feeling, that nostalgia factor. Right. That, exactly. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're gonna move on to a new album. Okay. Judas Priest Unleashed in the East. All right. My favorite live album from Judas Priest. Its nickname is Unleashed in a Studio. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. I wonder why. So Judas Priest releases Killing Machine or Hellbent for Leather in, ni- in the U.S. in 1978. 
And to me, it marked a turn, or not even marked a turn. It it was a turning point in their career. Which album? Killing uh, Machine. Killing Machine, Hellbent for Leather. And the reason why I say that is because that's when they had fully adopted what became their heavy metal look at that time. You know, Hellbent uh, for Leather. Not just that, but the sound started to change. I mean, mm-hmm. Stained Class was a little heavier than what they were doing before. But then when they, they released Hellbent for Leather, there, there was something happening there. I mean, Les Binks' drumming was heavier than what was before, which I can't remember who the drummer was before Les Binks. Alan Moore? Yeah, I believe so. I think. Um, there may have been... A, well, no, Alan Moore, I think, was on the first one. That would be Sin After Sin. Al Atkins? And that would be... No, Al Atkins was the singer. Oh. <laughs> no, Is he living off his legacy? That was... We have to talk about him. <laughs> That was a Simon Phillips, and he wasn't an official really? member of the band. <clears throat> okay. But yes, when, when they brought on Les Binks, I mean, he has kind of like a jazzier style, but it fit more with the, mm-hmm. the, the vibe of what was going on. It was heavier, and his attack is there, you know, and it fit more of the, the motif of, of metal. Yeah, and what you're saying with the leather, the metal gods were kind of forming right Yeah, there. exactly. I mean, that, like I said, a turning point in their career. Uh, Hellbent for leather. The the you know you see the picture, the motorcycles on the back. Mm-hmm. You know he's got the leather whip. So that that and the, and the the picture on the front is very right. very uh, not jarring, but but it draws you in. It's, the colors are cool, and you see he's like in this kind of headpiece thing. It looks like almost like electric uh, electric chair or something like that. On the on, on Hellbent the for leather. Of, yeah, I thought it was just a, a like glasses and the, and the hat that he wore. Well, there's like a strap. Is it? Is that the helmet? There's a strap under I think his chin. That's, I think that's yeah. It's, it's part kind of, of ambiguous, and I yeah. guess that's that's what always drew me in. Was I always kind of saw it as like he's strapped into an electric something. chair or something. <laughs> but it's um, probably more of like a you know whips and chains and uh, other kind uh, of thing. S and M chamber or something. <laughs> but yeah, so that being their turning point in late '79, they definitively put it all together. And released Unleashed in the East, which was a, a testament to everything that had come before them. At that point, they took all those good songs that they had and stepped it up to another level. It was a different guitar tone mm-hmm. that really drove it home for me. Some of those really old songs on the first couple albums, anything off of Rockarola or even even f- as far back as as uh, Sad Wings, Sad Wings, Destiny, Sin After Sin, mm-hmm. you know all that. It's hard to go back and listen to it because it's just the the drums are not as heavy. The guitar tone sounds very 60s, 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's no distortion. Not at all. Played very clean. It doesn't come across the same way. You know, now they're in concert. They, you're hearing the distortion. They've got, they've upgraded their the equipment that they're using, and so it and it shows. Not only that, but like I said, they finally found their their niche. They finally found their edge that they were going to basically continue. That, and on. I think that's the best word to describe it is the, the edge mm-hmm. that, that was that was kind of lacking before. No, for sure. One of the things I like about this album, something that is going to be a prevalent uh, idea through all the ones that we're going to talk about, is how the energy comes across on all these live albums. It's amazing how they, you, you have this energy. It, it's hard to quantify it, but this energy that's transferred from a live setting to a two-inch tape to this one-dimensional flat piece of vinyl. And then 
electronically, it comes through your speakers in that same energy that they felt that night you're feeling listening to this live album. All good live albums have that. The five or six that we're talking about tonight all have that. Yeah, for sure. And, and there are some that we're going to kind of briefly mention that also have it. And it's, it's amazing how that comes across, how that can happen, where this feeling from a show in 1978, 1974, whenever it was recorded, and when I say 74, I was thinking about Deep Purple, you know, how Made in Japan is such a good album. 78 for Judas Priest, 77 and 75 for Kiss. That energy coming through the speakers from that show still resonates today. The 79 for... Uh, well, it was re- it was recorded in 78. Gotcha, okay. So, um, but yeah, it came out in 79. It's just the vibe that you get off of those. And everything we're talking about tonight, you know, it's crazy to think about how good that is and so you put the needle down on unleash and east and you hit exciter i tell you the energy and the the speed at which all those songs are played just doesn't end until the end of tyrant that's one of the big things too is i like the speed of a lot of the songs better on unleashed in the east than on the original recordings mm-hmm. everything was picked up a little bit yeah just a hair just a hair that made it more metal Yes. It went from being rock, you know, sometimes even not psychedelic, but you it know, was, from, it was a, a carryover bit. from that that era. Right. And then, it, but it became metal. Yeah, rock and roll was definitely a, a carryover from the psychedelic, psychedelic era. Psychedelic rock era. The biggest, the song that had the biggest change and the biggest oomph was Tyrant at the end. Oh, Tyrant's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like the Tyrant is so Tyrant. different, especially because of the way... He had to sing it live. The studio album, you know, tar, and you know, it's just this really weird vocal thing that he's got going on. But live, he flies through the whole lyric, and so it comes across excellently. And so, again, like I said, the energy doesn't stop. As soon as you put the needle down, and then you flip it over, and you put it down again, and you get to the end of Tyrant, from excited to Tyrant, that it is, it's, it's so fast it's paced, stop, yeah. And it and, keeps, the, and the two covers, Diamonds and Rust and Green and Manalishi, they're even better. Oh, on yeah. this version Live. than they were on the previous mm-hmm. recordings. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and Diamonds Rust came across pretty pretty good on the on the studio, but this one was this even one's better. even better. Yep. Yeah. So it, it is one of those things that can't be said enough about the energy and the vibe that came off this record. I mean, yeah, and, it changed and, Judas Priest at that point. And, and we're strictly really talking about the original versions of these albums so that came out. There are bonus tracks on the re-release that are really cool too. So like Hellbent for Leather. It appears on the re-release, and it's it's a very nice version. Starbreaker, I like that song a lot. I have a hard time going back and listening to the original version of it sometimes. Yeah, it's it's got such a a weird sonic to it on mm-hmm. the on the original album. Yep. But yeah, no, Starbreaker is a pretty cool song. I really like that album. I haven't really listened to it in a while, which is weird because I do like the album. It is it's got some really cool versions of those songs on there. All right, so uh, what do you think of the mix? Pretty good. I don't think there's anything that's muddy. Me personally, I could be wrong, <laughs> but I think it's where the drums are, are relatively clear. Let, let's backtrack one second. The reason why it's called Unleashed in the Studio, or, or one of the reasons why, is that there was a rumor going around that everything was re-recorded and done in the studio. That's not true, though. It's um, not. Rob came out and explained what had happened 
the vocal tracks got ruined and he had to re-record his vocals. So that helps the, the, the album because now you got these really crystal clear vocals that are going through. Yeah, it, it's kind of, it's a good thing, but it's also kind of a tragedy because you know it's different. You know, it's, it's not going to be the same experience as if he was live. Like Paul... You were saying it with Kiss, mm-hmm. when he's running around the stage. You know, you you're hearing the mistakes, you're hearing the tone issues caused by running around and jumping around. And that's part of the part of the experience, and you definitely don't get that here. I mean, it sounds like Rob is just singing crystal clear the whole time. Right, and I don't have a problem with that because Rob's not a big runner. No, he plays. He stays pretty still, especially right. now. <laughs> now, yeah. Now he he doesn't even saunter across the stage. Now he just he just slowly trudges. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean he he most of the time he's actually just standing there. Yeah, and uh, I mean in that respect, that's fine. You know they they have to salvage what they had right, because no. it is if you listen to the the instrumental tracks, mm-hmm. then you're you're recognized. I mean it's it's a great. Mix. It's, it's a great album for the fact that it still gives off that vibe. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's well done. It is what it is at this point. It comes across like a live album. All the tracks but Rob's are live. But he did his live quote unquote in the studio. It, it still sounds live. It doesn't sound like he's recording you know the tracks for a studio album. It no. still sounds like he's recording. I mean they, it they meant it. they meant to make it sound that way so that yeah. it would sound live. I mean I guess that kind of answers the second question. Does it feel live? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the set list? For the time, I was expecting, I came backwards to this album. So I was already a Priest fan and kind of worked my way backwards. For the time, I wish they would have put Hellbent for Leather on the on the release. Because on the original release. That yeah. was the album. I'm like, they didn't really play anything off of Killing Machine, Hellbent for Leather. Uh, I mean, Green Man Alishi. Except for Green Man Alishi. That was it. And you would think, why would you do a cover? You've got a good song like Hellbent for Leather. You've got a good song like Delivering the Goods. Those are songs you could have easily put on the album. And those only went to the Japanese EP. Yay, Japanese EP. (laughs) It it would have been nice to have that here released with the album. Yeah. Instead of, I mean, they could have easily taken out Green Manalishi and they wouldn't have had to pay the royalties. Think about it. It's true. It was still a really good version of it. Of course. I'm not not taking anything away from the version, but it, it would have been nice to hear... Is something else besides Green Man Lishi off of Hellbent for Leather yeah. slash Killing Machine? No, I'm the same, same way to a degree. I, I started with British Steel. That was the first album I heard, and I went forward from there. And then I went back to Unleashed in the East. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of spoiled me and probably made it harder to go back and listen to the original recordings because that was still kind of a metal sound. Even though it's not as heavy as what came after, it was still a metal sound. Then you go back and listen to Rockarola. Yeah. Go back and listen to, to Sad Wings, and it's definitely not as good. I mean, no. I, I still like The Ripper off of Sad Wings. Sad Wings is a weird album because you got The Ripper and Victim of Changes and Tyrant on there, and it's just like, wow, these are really good songs. Because even for how it was recorded and the way they mixed the vocals, Tyrant is still a good song. Yeah. It, it definitely, they they benefited from a live concert setting as opposed to that studio recording. Oh, for sure. Okay, so uh, what do you think is the highlight of the album? A highlight for the album, to me, uh, there's two, but my favorite song is The Ripper. Agreed, that's but, mine. But uh, Sinner and showcasing K.K. Downing, 
on that song, and, it, and they, that's basically the way they showcase KK for the rest of his career. Yeah, Sinner is a great is a great version on this album, but my my favorite is Ripper. I just I love the Ripper because it's got so much of a dynamic range in Rob's vocals mm-hmm. that there's really not another song on the album that showcases it as much. And he goes high and he goes low on a lot of other songs. Uh, Victim of Changes. Victim of Changes, for sure. But it's not as quick of changes. No. And that's, that's it's a, what... That's a build. Yeah. I mean, when you when you go in the Ripper, in the version that's on this album versus the original, when he hits that high note, uh, you're in for surprise, you're in for shock, you hear him actually gradate up rather than just that immediate jump. Right. And you go, oh, wow, this guy can really sing. Yeah, it's definitely the highlight of the album. Mm-hmm. Victim of Changes is also one of the highlights for the album, but I think Ripper uh, definitely because you're very concise and you get it all in mm-hmm. that in that two and a half minutes. Yeah, it's, which is it's really good. It, yeah exactly. That's the best way to put it. You get it a, a you know a bit of it all in that song. Exactly. So what's the grade? I would probably say a B to B plus on that one. Okay. Only because uh, I would say that the set list detracts from it. That's just my opinion. That's I, fair. I would have liked more Judas Priest songs. Free Man Lishi is not a Priest song. I like the song. I like the way Priest does it. Mm-hmm. Diamonds and Rust. To me, that's a Priest song because I never heard the Joan Baez version. And, and it's funny because what they did recently in the last 10 years, I guess you could say, the last 10, 15 years, the way they've done Diamonds and Rust in concert has been the Joan Baez version. Yeah. Which I'm like, dude, you guys made this version awesome. That's the one you need to play. As much as... That's a good version. Like I said before, I would have liked to have hear, heard other of their own songs. Yeah. So. I'm going to give it a B plus. It's it's same reason. I mean, I'm a bigger fan of everything that came after that particular album. Mm-hmm. But it definitely feels like the origin of, of the metal sound for yep. Judas Priest. And the versions of the songs are better than the original recordings in a lot of cases. So definitely a B plus. Cool. The next album I want to talk about is UFO Strangers in the Night. Let's begin by saying this is supposed to be one of the all-time best live albums ever to be released. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I a lot of that has to do with the fact that I didn't grow up with that album. Much like Kiss Alive 2 is my favorite live album, my favorite Kiss album, Strangers in the Night is a very good album. I'm not going to take anything away from it, but I don't have that same attachment that other people have. So you and I, neither one of us growing up with that album. Well, I know I did. I mean, I, uh, my dad was a... Well, when I say growing up, we weren't there. Oh, You yeah. weren't there, especially you weren't there. I was... I didn't exist. Yeah, but I didn't know anything about UFO until the 80s. Yeah. So I I had to go backwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, you probably not until the 90s. I would say so. I would have been four years old in 1990, so I probably didn't know yeah. much about UFO. I didn't even, I don't think I heard of UFO until the 80s. And then I don't think I heard UFO until the late 80s, maybe 90s. I just never got into them. I don't want to take away from the album the the opinions that I'm going to give on it is based on what I hear now, okay. you know, and it's a very good album and I have to put myself to the side when I, when I sit there and, and give my opinion on it because it is an older album. It is an album that has flaws, but it's supposed to. So it's good in that manner. That's one thing I actually really like about it. There's a lot of factors that make it feel alive. And one of them is that you can hear, 
and, and the mistakes that are made, they're not bad mistakes. They're mistakes that most guitarists would go, okay, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Exactly. All right, so because I wasn't a fan growing up, the album, like I said, doesn't have the same effect on me as it does others or as others do on me. But that being said, however, I do like a lot of the renditions of the songs that I have heard on this album better than studio recordings. Like the hits, Lights Out, Rock Bottom, Doctor Doctor. I like them because you have that, again, energy that comes through on the album. It's not just that. I mean, Mike, Michael Shanker didn't come on board until after a couple albums were already out. Mm-hmm. His guitar tone is phenomenally better than, than what Phenomenal. was kind of... Huh? Phenomenon. Phenomenon, yeah. <laughs> um, it really is. And uh, yeah, no, no pun intended there. But he had a very unique thing going on that he brought to the table. And what's kind of weird about this album is this is the last release with him. I mean, yeah. he left during the tour this album came from. Yeah, because Phil Mogg decided to punch him. <laughs> that happened, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he told him, he says, you hit me, I'm leaving. And, and he hit him, and he left. Yeah. I mean, that's basically the bottom line. And it's funny because they're, they're friends now. Yeah. Um, he's not I mean, going he, back to the band. No, they but, reunited in 93, I think mm-hmm. it was, for one album. Yeah, and, and it's funny. They actually ended up living near each other. Oh, in England? Uh, yeah, like a street over from mm-hmm. each other. I don't know if it's him. Uh, I don't know if it's Michael and, and Phil Mogg or if it's Michael and Pete Way. Uh, Pete Way. Um, there was actually like three of them. Yeah, yeah I think they were all living in the same same neighborhood. Yeah, kind of funny in London. <laughs> I like the versions of Doctor Doctor that's on here. I like Rock Bottom. I like Lights Out and some of the other songs that I kind of heard for the first time because, quite frankly, since I never got into UFO, I didn't listen to all the extra songs. So Too Hot to Handle was something that I heard for the first time listening to Strangers. It's a cool song. I like that one. It is a cool song. I mean, I, I, I like the album. It's it's a really cool album. That being said, you can tell throughout the album that things are different. And they're from different cities. They're from different yep. cities. One of the things about the album is it has two songs, Hot and Ready and Cherry, which happens to be songs that were put on the reissue. And the reason I bring them up is because you can tell on the, on the reissue. And I know we talked mostly about, like with Jewish Priest, we didn't talk about the reissue songs, but this one's kind of uh, specific to this. They added the crowd noise from Chicago to those songs, and they sound, the songs themselves sound like they're played in a smaller venue, but they've got this crowd that sounds like they're, you know, like Kiss. It sounds like it's 15,000 people. Yeah. You know why? Because it was 12,000 people. No, I'm sorry. It was 15,000 people in Chicago. So they had this big, the headline is big venue in Chicago of 15,000 people. And then they go back to their normal things, just like Kiss, where they were playing two, 3,000 seat venues. So it's, it's kind of weird. And you can hear it. The other thing, too, was one of the songs that was on there, I think it was Mother Mary. Mother Mary and um, uh, This Kids. This Kids. Those were actual studio recordings. Because they had the same problem that Kiss had, they didn't have enough to fill a double album. Well, and they were they were songs that were on their set list too. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything that they put on there was was representative of their set list at yeah, the time, just not in the right order. Yep. Until the reissue came out. Yep. But those two songs, they didn't. I don't know if they didn't record them, or you know, if they were on the set list, why weren't they recorded? Because they made studio versions of them and then threw the live tracks on top of it. When you listen to the album, you can tell there's a little bit of punch, especially on the bottom end, where that 
those songs, you can tell there's something different about those songs. They sound similar. You could tell there's something about there's a lot of bass, especially bass guitar on it. Not not that it's yeah. not that you hear the bass lines, but the chunk behind the guitar is a little different. Yeah, yeah. so the, it, the mix is different. But I I, I mean like, overall, I like the album, especially with the reworking of the the, the tracks. I've only heard the remastered version of it, so to me, it, it works. Where had I grown up listening to it, I probably would be, you know, I wish it was the other way around. Who knows? All right, so what do you think of the mix? As we spoke, the the songs for the, the big hits, Dr. Doctor, Lights Out, and Rock Bottom, you can, there's a, they sound a little muddy because you can tell they're played at a bigger venue. So the, the, the noise or the sound that it was recorded is not as crisp as, say, the ones that are recorded at the smaller venue where you can have a bit more intimacy with the, with the instruments. They don't sound bad. They don't sound muddy. They just sound not as sharp, not as crisp as, as the other songs. But I don't view that as a problem. I no, I, it, it's not a problem. Overall, the mix is good. I mean, they... Well, uh, what I was going to say was it feels live and it oh, feels yeah. at like it's at the show, you know? Oh, for sure. And I think that's what makes it, even though it's, I get what you're saying, it makes it feel like it's at a bigger venue. And, and, right. and that's that, and that's the idea. You yeah. want it to sound that way. I mean, you take a recording and you throw a crowd from a 15,000-seat arena, and yeah, it's going to sound different. And and I think they did it. I don't know if... I guess this was... It has to be post-production trickery. Mm. The way that they did Phil Mogg's vocal tracks, you can hear a ton of echo. Not even echo, a ton of reverb, excuse me, on his... I don't think it was necessarily post-production because they do that with Ozzy all the time i mean when he's when he's live he has so much reverb i i don't even know what ozzy's real voice sounds like to be honest <laughs> i mean that could be the case but back then even in the 70s i mean they did that with ozzy oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, on all those black sabbath live performances i mean he has reverb yeah it's i mean what he does. That, i mean that's what a lot of singers do i'm not yeah. i'm not saying i mean it's just very similar to how guitar players in the 80s all had that very tinny reverby kind of mm-hmm. sound when you yeah. when they stop the guitars you hear you play out what was that <laughs> <laughs> i got this all day i'm not trying to detract from the vocals it was good i felt like it was almost like they had to have added that but i could be wrong yeah i'm not sure to be honest so for the mix i, I agree completely it, it feels inconsistent um mm-hmm. it doesn't take away from the live feeling for me it just no. feels like it's a compilation of multiple shows. Actually, and that's that's what it is, to be honest. Too. Right. And what I think about it is too is like at the beginning of the the album, and I'm, again, I'm going off of the the remaster because that's what I know. The drums are very clear. The instruments are very separated because that's the way the song is. So they're not all playing on top of each other. But later on, with lights out, you know that they're playing on top of each other. It's it's a consistent instrumentation so it's going to sound busy i guess you, you can say because yeah. i don't want to use the word muddy because it's not muddy so the, the the snare drum is not as crisp but that might be a product of the song as opposed to a product of the, the production mix wise they can only do so much before you know you start messing with the mix too much yeah so the beginning of the album sounds crisp some of the later songs sound crisp but the, the big hits that they have because they were from the bigger venue you know that they just have a little bit of a different sound. Nothing wrong with it at all. I wish, I honestly wish they would release like more of the tracks that they recorded mm-hmm. because I've heard so many times from Michael Schenker, especially, that there were better versions that they recorded. 
that didn't you know make it onto the actual right. album and i wonder what that means is it just in his mind you know his guitar sound or the way he played was better on that particular one and it wasn't maybe the 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 best of all of it it right. was just that particular thing but i would still love to hear that as like bonus tracks or I something mean, like that i mean there's so many things from so many bands i would love to hear i mean oddly enough you mentioned something like that uh, deep purple put out live in japan as the anniversary edition of made in japan and that had all three shows mm-hmm. so you can pick and choose which one that which you want so yeah. so yeah so that one that's pretty cool in and of itself it would be nice if maybe they would release the whole show as it was yeah. as opposed to bits and pieces here and there it would be nice if if priest would have done that with with unleashed i would actually want i mean they've released those four bonus tracks but there's another three tracks that came out they have been released commercially but not, not as one package and that would to me would be nice to get the actual Unleash and East package that was that from beginning to end in one yeah one CD or two CDs whatever it may be. So, does it feel live? Oh yeah, for sure. It, I mean, it definitely feels live. I mean, it comes across great. I mean, it's a good album. I'm not taking yeah. away from it. It's not my favorite studio. Uh, excuse me. It's not my favorite live album because I grew up with Kiss alive too. And I didn't grow up with UFO. So yeah. I'm, I'm not going to go back and say, oh, yeah, that's my best one. Because Kiss Alive 2 is always going to sit there and be in there. It's always going to be under my arm, in my, you know, in my pocket. Yeah. I, my, the only thing I'll detract from it feeling life is is about the mix. You know, it just, it's inconsistent. And, and you can hear it more clearly, I guess, now today than some of the other versions that you could get. Like on a cassette tape, it was probably less, you mm-hmm. know, obvious. Right. But now I can hear it more. So in that respect, yes. But 99% of the time, you're not going to be that focused in just looking for those little minute differences. And I would say, yeah, it definitely feels live. Right now, that's like our job. And one thing that makes it feel really live to things. me, too, is that the interactions between Phil Mogg and the audience are there. They're strange. They're strange, but they're there. They're, yeah, they're there. You know, and, and that's that's one factor that makes it feel live too. Is you know, anytime I I've gone to see Iron Maiden, you know, Bruce is talking to the audience. He's he's getting him involved in the show, and that's here. You know, yes. he's he's talking to you. He feels like it feels like he's talking to you while you're listening. Well, and that's which a, is that's cool. the way it comes across on Kiss Alive, especially yeah. Alive, and and Alive Two is not as bad or not as much as yeah. Alive One. I believe is something that's missing off of Unleashed in the East. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a lot of banter at all. No. You know, and for what it's worth on Unleashed in the East, it needed to be that way because it's such a blitz of songs. There's no slow songs. You know, there's no ballads. Yeah, I don't feel like it detracts from it doesn't that, detract. it's just, that particular album. Right, it's just like, but... boom, hit the needle, boom, go straight to the end. I mean, it's just like, bam. And it's just the sonic assault that you get. Yeah, I mean, the track list of that particular album... You know, it fits that vibe. It just keeps right. going. Whereas this one has a lot more variety. And the breakup of the, you know, him talking to the audience sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, is a good transition between yeah. the songs. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you get the feeling that you're there listening to him talk. So I like it. It's not, it doesn't detract from it at all. So what did you think of the set list? Since I'm not super familiar with UFO, it worked for me. I'm not going to say yay or nay about it being a good or bad set list. It had the songs I like. It had other songs that I began to like because of it. So I'm good with it. Well, this is kind of like the hottest point for them. Mm, yes. Know? And so in that regard, 
they're picking all their best songs. Right. So for that reason, I'd say it's a great set list. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's peak UFO. All right. So the highlight for you. Rock bottom. Rock bottom, really. Rock bottom, yeah. I mean, Michael Schenker's playing throughout it. It was his highlight. Rock bottom, just just, just his guitar playing. I mean, the other guitar player slash keyboard player, you can sense that he was kind of in the background. Michael was just way up front, even though there's a little bit of harmony that's played at one point. Um, oh, it definitely that era definitely featured him. Oh yeah, I mean, he was the he was the draw. Exactly, and so yeah, it comes across real well, and and I like it. So, and it was also ten minutes long. It uh, definitely was showcasing Michael. Uh, to me, it's Doctor Doctor. Really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I love the intro. It builds it up in such a way, and you hear the audience's excitement when it like hits the actual song. Yes, and it's such a such a cool feeling, and I just love his tone on that song. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it it. I love the original recording of it, but I love the live version even better. And what's what's interesting too is Phil Mogg. I don't know if he sings the wrong lyrics or he was just changing things up on purpose. He really kind of fudged the lyrics there, and I still love it. It's yeah. it's great. It was funny because I was listening to it this morning. I noticed that the crowd really didn't react to the first few bars of the intro to Doctor Doctor. It wasn't until mm-hmm. the you know the drums hit and it went into the main song that there was a crowd reaction. And I don't know if that was meant to be that way or what. Well, if I mean, you, uh, I've been to a lot of shows that it, you're waiting for that one part, right? And that's kind of how I feel because I've heard the other live versions of it and it's kind of the same way okay. so i don't know if maybe it's just that mentality of waiting for it to really like kick in because he, he plays that he plays the first bar like you said right. and then it, all the instruments kind of come in right and exactly. that's that's when the audience goes nuts there's i've been to eagles shows where it's kind of the same like you know what song's coming but it's like when it hits that one particular moment, mm-hmm. it, that's where it, know, it drives the there, crowd. There's other metal songs where the first note hits and they're, oh, and everybody they're goes screaming. nuts. Right. Yeah. You know, no matter how slow or fast. That's an interesting thought. There, that's kind of there's a phenomenon going there. That again, pun not intended. <laughs> but, but there's something there that I wonder what it is that the crowd reacts to. Right. That's that's causing that. UFO, strangers in the night. All right. Uh, grade. What do you think of the album? I'm going to give it a B. Okay. You know, again, because I didn't grow up with it. And, and I hate to keep harping on that part, but it's real important because other albums that you do grow up on and you do listen to more often are going to be more important to you. Yeah. So this one isn't as important to me. So for that reason, I give it a B. I'll go with an A-. minus. I mean, yeah. it's it's a really strong album. It's, again, like I said, with with some of the others, somewhat better recordings than mm-hmm. the actual originals and it feels very live yeah. i mean it's there's so many factors there that make it feel live it doesn't feel like they took it back into the studio even though there was some probably some overdubbing and a little bit of changing here and there michael shanker refused to do overdubs on his guitar so you know that's his original guitar work right the kind of odd interactions with the crowd are very itchy yeah. and fun. What was the whole part about, you know, licensing laws? That's just so strange to yeah. even mention that in general. You know what? I'll have to go back and research it. Maybe we'll bring it up on the next episode. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm almost wondering if they were trying to play a cover or if they... It could be something. So. I, I'll definitely look into that and maybe bring that up on the next one. 
Cool. There's just so many factors there that make it feel like you're at the show. And oh, that's, yeah. that's so cool to me. And I think that's a, a, a huge part of why there's such an attraction to it. Yeah. A lot of guitarists love that album for that reason. Mm-hmm. They know it's the true work of that guy. Yes. And it's not somebody going back into the studio and cleaning it up and making sure it's perfect. Because perfection is, is subjective. And when you see the true talent... Somebody like Michael Shanker on display there. It's, I mean, it's just. You have to hear it for it, what it is. Yeah. You it captures it. your attention. Right. It, it commands your attention. And you got to listen to the whole thing. Exactly. Okay. So up next, we're going to go to Ozzy Osbourne. Speak of the Devil. Speak of the Devil. Talk of the Devil, I think it was, in England. Yeah. It's a more common or idiom. Was it Talk to the Devil? Talk of the Devil. Talk of the Devil. Right. Mm-hmm. Speak of the Devil. Uh, released in September, no, excuse me, November of 1982, 10 months after, uh, no, no, not even 10 months. Yeah, 10 months after Randy Rhodes passed away. This album had all the earmarks of a disaster in waiting. You have one camp that says, let's make a Black Sabbath album, even though we're not Black Sabbath, to compete against the other Black Sabbath album that's actually a Black Sabbath live album, excuse me, let me put it, a, a, live, live a, a live Black Sabbath album, so, yeah, that, which eventually would become Live Evil, just so that they could spite them, take away from their record sales. Ah, what it must be like to be Sharon Osbourne. I mean, who else would think of that or do something like that? Why? No, I'm we're just kind of shaking my head here. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, basically, you, you, you forced an album on a band that didn't want to play it. Not an album. You forced a performance on a band that didn't want to play it. And that's the original lineup for Ozzy's band because they were originally going to do it with Randy Rhodes before he passed away. They wouldn't do it with Randy, right? But it was still Rudy and and Tommy Aldridge. Yeah. I I guess original is not a fair assessment. When I think of Ozzy's original band, I think of Randy. Right, right. Exactly. It was supposed to be done with Randy. Randy refused to do it. Rudy re- refused to do it. Tommy, I mean, they basically collectively said, we don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Since well, it didn't Ozzy, have a good vibe to it. I mean, I mean it was there all was no very sense. negative. It was no sense to do it because yeah. you've got these guys who have established themselves away from Black Sabbath. You know, they basically established Ozzy. They worked for Ozzy. They said, hey, you know what? We've just got two albums. You are Ozzy Osbourne. You're was, not Black yeah, there Sabbath. was no question that Randy was not Black Sabbath. Randy had created a sound that was so unique and so him that to go and say, let's do this, let's do covers, right. just was kind of like a slap. No, it was totally a slap. I mean, I think it would have been a better idea to release what eventually became Tribute, showcase Ozzy stuff, throw in a couple Black Sabbath songs that are on there, but showcase Ozzy stuff for the strength that they are, mm-hmm. okay? And the strength of the guitar player that you had Randy, there was no reason to go back in time. No, and, and to then he had already you know, proved himself. What was the point of calling it "Speak of the Devil"? And that's the reason why it ended up not being a Randy album because for twofold: one, he passed away; two, what they did have with him, they didn't want to put out under that name because Ozzy felt it was a terrible idea. Yeah. So now they're still at this point where all systems go for this Black Sabbath cover album, essentially. You know, so now Ozzy's got a band that had at one point revolted and he threatened to fire them all and they all kind of fell in line. Randy dies, and so they still fall in line. 
They bring in Bernie Torme to, to finish the tour. It doesn't work out very good. They bring in Brad Gillis to finish the rest of the tour. He totally mistreats Brad Gillis. He, he mistreats Brad Gillis, but then Brad is the guitar player that's going to end up being on Speak of the Devil. So you have personal tragedy, you have band drama, and you have this blitzed Ozzy Osbourne between drugs and alcohol. He's Who never shows up to rehearsals. Doesn't show up to the rehearsals. Yeah. Then they tell the band, hey, by the way, don't worry about learning Iron Man, Children of the Grave, and, and, and Paranoid too well because we're going to use Randy versions. Which, again, that's when Ozzy turns we're not putting Randy on this album. But the band didn't know that until they go to mix it and finish it. They, the band played those last three songs like it was, you know, yeah, whatever. They didn't really put their heart into it. And, and, not and you that, can tell for sure, especially Children of the Grave. It almost sounds like they're not aware of how the song should sound. It sounds like... They kind of did it on the fly, and maybe that's the, they the case. They did. That's the thing. <laughs> but when you're listening to that and you don't know the whole backstory, mm-hmm. you know, a song like Children of the Grave, which is, to me, one of Black Sabbath's best songs, it almost sounds like that band didn't understand the, what the song was. Right. Yeah, it was... It was. Yeah, that version of Iron Man is pretty terrible, too, to yeah, be it's honest. Just, it's totally... Which is know, a medley... You know, because the, the, the right. whole thing's like three minutes. Right, it goes from Iron Man into, into Children of the Grave. Grave. Not only do they, they have this album, so now, you know, Ozzy's in terrible shape. They go to record the album at the Ritz in New York City. Now, that's the good part about the fact that they got recorded at the Ritz, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later on when we talk about the mix. But it's a small venue. Because it's a Black Sabbath thing, the band doesn't even dress... Like they're going to a, their gig. They just literally butt dress in street clothes. Ozzy comes out in sweatpants and no shirt and bald. He shaved his head. And no one had no, no one had realized he had shaved his head. No one. I mean, the camp did, but the fans. No one knew that he yeah. had shaved his head. He can't remember the lyrics of songs that he, yes he had sung them previously, but he hadn't sung them in a while. I mean, it had been at least three years that he, since he had sang anything he was other kind than of out of his mind on right. you know drugs and alcohol. That too. Three years since he sang. Anything other than Children of the Grave, Iron Man, and Paranoid. So he, he doesn't remember the words. So he's got a little book and a chair next to his microphone. And so he's literally, because it's a, a low-key, very you know, loose vibe, he's standing there in front of his mic, not moving around much, reading the lyrics. Okay, the band is just doing their thing. I mean, this is, like I said, a recipe for disaster. You know, <laughs> everything's, in the end, I love the album. Still sounds pretty great. <laughs> you know, for what it's worth, the producer does a great job of getting that vibe of the album. Um, the Again, the energy is crazy insane because guess what helped the energy? The crowd was nuts. They were as nuts as Ozzy, yeah. Basically. Well, and that, that's that is an interesting thing. The interaction between the crowd and Ozzy, too, is kind of a strange vibe. You know, he's going, woo, 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 woo. And... It's nonsensical and kind of odd and well, and almost antagonistic in a way. Yeah, and they're just eating it up. Oh yeah, I mean it, it was it was quite nuts. But the, it's funny because um the rap that he does before the wizard, he starts talking about this is a song I haven't done on stage since 1972 mm-hmm. um, at the old Fillmore East. When he asks them, you know, do you remember the old Fillmore East? He says something that's edited out, and I believe it's because he cursed and they didn't have they didn't have the warning labels back then but they also didn't put curses on records back then you know they didn't allow it 
they did, but they, you know, you didn't want to get, you know, an F bomb thrown in the middle of an album for no reason. And that's edited out really bad. Like it, you hear a word cut off and you don't know what's going on. He does say, you know, you get shit faced every night, you know, and then it, it says something blank, a, gr- a few groupies. So I'm thinking he's talking about, you know, screwing a few groupies with the F word. So it's, uh, it's weird that way. That whole editing was just yeah. kind of odd, but kudos to Max Norman for making it work. So yeah, the whole vibe with the with the crowd. I mean, he kept egging him on to try and get crazier and crazier because oh, that's, yeah. that's Ozzy. He's I mean, always that's what he's always done. Right, he's always throwing paint over himself and <laughs> you know, right, just being a nutbag. But, but there's a difference between a fifteen thousand seat arena where you're that far away from the from the crowd and a one thousand seat little theater. Mm-hmm. A huge difference. And when you're asking people to go crazy, I mean, he he said it. He goes, "Let's start a riot." Like, dude, <laughs> relax. But yeah, so, but that's, he, I mean, he's always been that guy that can get the crowd involved. I mean, that's what made him famous in Black Sabbath, and it carried over here. And that's that's kind of why it's silly to even do a Black Sabbath album, because he was still able to do it. He had already proved himself with two great albums with his, yeah. his new band. It made no sense, but yeah. it all goes back to Sharon being mm-hmm. spiteful. I mean, overall, it's still a great album. Um, mm-hmm. There's a few lowlights for sure, but there's some really good stuff, too. So what do you think of the mix? I think the mix is outstanding. And I, I'm, I'm putting this on, on Max Norman, the producer, because I didn't catch who was actually who actually mixed the album. It may have been him because he's known to do that. But the production of the album is fantastic. Each instrument is virtually isolated. You hear bass, you hear guitar, you hear drums, and you hear Ozzy. It's four separate instruments heard completely separately. And that makes it awesome. Speaking of the Devil is one of my favorite live albums because of the way it's mixed, because of the way the drums sound. I love the way the drums sound on this. It was Max Norman, by the way. Okay, he so, did do the mixing. So so Max mixes it. I mean, great job. The whole thing, even even though the fact that there's some songs taken from a soundcheck show, much like the Kiss Kiss Live 2 version, who cares? The bottom line is that you know it doesn't sound like it. Everything sounds very consistent across the board. There's no nothing muddled, nothing muddy, nothing muffled. It's struck. I mean, the drums sound awesome. The bass drum. I mean, some of the, some of the my favorite bass drumming and favorite bass drum sound all in one one yeah. recording. I, I mean, I definitely agree uh, that that's very obvious that w- who's playing what. It's not muddy at all. You can hear Rudy Sarzo's bass. Oh, and love, that's one of my I'm, favorite parts of that album. Yeah, I love his bass playing on that album. Yeah, it's it's so in your face and it's it's up front enough in the mix that you're getting to hear the whole thing oh, yeah. and there's there's a couple times where you know on the original recordings of the songs with black sabbath you'd have an overdub where you have two guitars mm-hmm. um he's filling in playing the bass uh, you know as well as geezer did on some of those songs oh yeah and but he's playing also the guitar parts and kind of filling in that void. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's 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 a master of putting in those bass fills. Mm-hmm. I love the job he does on Symptom of the Universe. I love the job he does on War Pigs. I mean, it's just so right there. Yeah. Does it feel live? <laughs> does it feel live? It's insane. It's that insanely album. live. Yeah. Yes, it's a, it's an awesome. I don't think enough much more is needed to be said. I mean, we <laughs> kind of went over that. So what do you think of the set list? It's Black Sabbath. Yeah. I mean there's not much else you can say about it. It's got all the best songs. It's even got, you know, never uh, seen... Most of them. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple in there, but for what it's worth in terms of energy, 
that comes across really well on this album. I can't take anything away from it. I mean, my only issue is kind of an odd one, and it's mm-hmm. the way it ends. Paranoid feels like a weird ending to the particular to the album. To the album, just okay. the way it it's presented. Um, I almost feel like it should have been earlier in the album, and then think maybe the thought was that they were going to use the Children of the Grave and Iron Man from the Randy version. And maybe that was what was originally supposed to end it. What ends up happening is you've got the, the paranoid at the end. And it just doesn't, it, it almost feels like there's just not a climax there. It's still great. That's, a, that's, the, that's the way they ended all his concerts. Yeah. I think he still does it. It's, just, it's always Iron Man, Children of the Grave, and, and Paranoid. Yeah, it, and, and that's, again, maybe that... that encore feeling that Mm -hmm. i'm getting for a live album it's different than when you're at the show and and so when you're at the show there's a clear ending this is the end and then they come back on stage and you know you know you're getting the encore but when you're listening to the album that's not always presented in the same way true because if you don't know where the show ends mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense when you just hear an encore exactly right and so i've heard on albums where the you, you know it's the encore and I've heard some, just like you were saying with Kiss, where to me, you know, listening to the, to it for the first time and not realizing that it wasn't an encore. Right. Or it was an encore. Right, I get what you're and saying. That, that's my only issue, but other than that, the set list is great. Especially if you're a Black Sabbath fan. Oh, which <laughs> I'm a huge Black Sabbath fan. Right. So. Uh, what's the highlight of the album? For me, there's four highlights you only get to pick one but my favorite okay <laughs> so symptom of the universe war pigs and sweet leaf are all big highlights for the album especially yeah. because of the way they're recorded but my favorite song my my highlight of the album is the wizard that's that's I mean, the, that's your that's, favorite black Sabbath. that's song. the album why i fell in love with the wizard to begin with okay you know so listening to the studio recording because i had never heard it before i'm um, going back it's different but it's still very good the original version this one, you know, there's a completely different vibe, and I, I just love the way it sounds. Especially, you know, you can hear Rudy's bass on it. Brad Gillis is playing well. The drums, of course. I love what Tommy does as far as drum fills compared to what uh, Bill Ward did. It's a completely different, you can tell it's a different era, obviously. Oh, yeah. It's a lot heavier. Yeah, yeah it, it's it definitely, I love Tommy's playing. Tommy's one of my favorite drummers, period. He's a, such an awesome drummer. Yeah, I mean, he, he the other stuff he did with them, I mean, he did Bark of the Moon. Mm-hmm. You know, we've already talked about Bark of the Moon on a previous episode. Right. But and yeah, the stuff he does with White Snake is incredible. Oh, so. yeah. So the highlight for me is kind of an odd one, but it's uh, Never Say Die. Okay, I, I, that, love, I like that. Yeah, I love the mix on Never Say Die. You can really hear Rudy Sarzo's bass playing, mm-hmm. and you hear it in contrast with everything else, and it's it's just... So well done. It's oh, yeah. it's the consummate feeling of that you know mix of uh, all the parts can be heard. What I also kind of like about it, and maybe I'm thinking too much about it, was that's off of the last Black Sabbath album that was kind of a train wreck. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I mean the whole production, the Ozzy wasn't really there, uh, but it almost feels like kind of a, a message. You know, Randy had just passed away. You know, he had been kicked when the whole separation with Black Sabbath. And never say die is almost kind of a statement. Right. I see what you're saying. And I just thought it was a, uh, kind of an odd choice because it's not one of their biggest songs, but I've always loved the song. Mm-hmm. I, I bought the album specifically for that song. I didn't like much else on it. Right. <laughs> but I would listen to that one over and over again. It yeah, was a it's cool a, song. It's so. a it's a very cool song. All right. So, Grade, what do you think? I'm giving it an A. 
I'm, I'll agree with you for sure. I, the only thing that gives me, I, you know what? I, I'm gonna say a minus was originally what I said, and I'm gonna stick with that. And that's that's only because I really dislike the version of Iron Man and Children of the Grave. Children of the Grave is one of my favorite Black Sabbath songs, and it it's sad that it's <laughs> recorded that way. It right. just doesn't feel like they understand what the song was. Yeah, I, I know how you feel because I have things like that with other albums and other versions of songs. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I wish I would have done that. You know, I get it. There's there's such an energy in that album that mm-hmm. there's so many things going on and it, it's one of those where I think sometimes uh, negative energy doesn't necessarily lead to bad things like I think some of the negative energy that was being felt in this one mm-hmm. was almost like a rage yeah and it brought out something special in this particular album exactly and, and the it, anger that it, you feel in like first albums from bands right right no yeah exactly the the angst yeah you, you know and it's weird because. Ozzy hates this album because he never wanted to do it. Yeah. Again, we, we've established that Sharon is the one that kind of forced the whole thing. Yeah. Whatever For whatever it's worth, it's an excellent album. The vibe is there. It's definitely a, a highlight of his career, even though he doesn't consider it that. Yeah. He doesn't get to pick which uh, albums the fans love. No, not at all. So speaking of highlights of bands' careers, okay, we're going to go into our last uh, nitpicky album that we're going we're gonna to dissect here. Iron Maiden, Live After Death. That was the first concert I ever saw. I, I don't know what else to say, but it, it still remains my favorite concert to this day. I think Legacy of the Beast jumped up to number two <laughs> when I saw it it, when we saw it phenomenal. last year. Phenomenal. I keep using that word. Yes, you do. Which it is happens. fine. It happens. <laughs> I use awesome a lot. Live After Death is basically a testament to what Iron Maiden had achieved up to that point. If you went to the World Slavery Tour like I did in New York, this package that you get, this double live album with these the, the the inner sleeve, it's almost like a Kiss album. You know, you get this the booklet inside it. You don't get any tattoos, but you get this booklet. Each of the liner for the the uh, records have pictures on them. They have come with all the lyrics. It is a tour souvenir that you received for for being an Iron Maiden fan. So I went to the tour. It's my souvenir that I brought home from the tour. People who didn't see the show, you know, this is this is their way of getting to become part of that. It is an incredible package. It is virtually a replica of what you saw at the show that night or whatever night you went. I love the album. It is uh, definitely one of the best concerts. To me, very similar to, you know, Made in Japan. It was produced by Martin Birch. It is a very well-produced album but it's not necessarily the best sounding album it's by far one thing about it is it's at kind of a peak point in their career so it's got all those hit songs it's got stuff from the paul diano era it's got stuff from everything leading up to that point and it's got a good mix of those and you're getting you know a lot of the the newest album at the time mm-hmm which is always a good thing, right? You know, when it, to mix that in with all the new stuff, which is what Unleashed in the East failed at. Right, it failed miserably. It was <laughs> yeah, it, it it really didn't show off Killing Machine slash Hellbent for Leather, whereas this does. Right, exactly. And unlike Kiss Alive or Alive Two, they purposely went out of their way to highlight each of the albums. Mm-hmm. So that that's the way they did those albums. This one is is specifically a a uh, representation of what that tour was yeah you know and very similar to ufo 
That's what they were playing at the time. That was their set list. Even though what people got in 1979 was not the exact set list, yeah. what you get now is, which it's a shame that it took so long to get that way, but it was still a fantastic album. For Iron Maiden, we've spoke about how I'm a fan. I'm yeah. a diehard fan. They're my number two band behind Metallica. They're my number one band. Right. Yeah. This album, it was just a testament to where they were at that pe- that point. They were peak Iron Maiden. And what's the other thing that we've talked about all night is energy. the energy that comes off this album is insane. Oh, yeah. The crowd noise is fantastic. It feels like just when we went to see Legacy of the Beast, feels the same. Mm-hmm. It's just the crowd the whole time. Just yeah. nuts the whole time, beginning to end. And it's not distracting. It just feels like part of the, the show. Right. It's it's that that low ambient crowd noise throughout every song. And it makes it, it feel like it's at a big arena. Unlike what they do with the live, uh, or what Kiss does with live, where they lower and raise the, the volume of the, of the crowd, the crowd does it themselves in this one. They keep a consistent level, or, or Martin Birch keeps a consistent level throughout the, the show, but at, when the song's over, the, the crowd cheers, and it's, not, it's legit. It's not a volume yeah, raised. What kind of covers up the crowd noise is the band's loud. Right, exactly. Yeah. That it, 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 what you hear on this, yes, of course, there's there's always studio trickery. There's always a a, a note fixed here and there. There's always going to be an overdub. We know that. It doesn't take away from this at all. This is the the live testament because you see it in the video. If you watch the video that goes along with this, it's the same show. It's taken from a different night, but it's the same show for for what it's worth. I have zero qualms with a note here and there fixed. Okay, that's fine. I have a qualm with what Steve Harris has been doing lately when he tweaked and moved a whole vocal line to, to add another vocal line when it was unnecessary. Yeah. But this, that's, that's, that's neither here nor there. In, and that's, in that's regard a to conversation for another time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what do you think of the mix? It's good for, for a live album. It's uh, consistent. It's smooth. Um, there's nothing. It's not as say, you know, crystal clear with separation as, the UFO album because it's recorded differently. You can tell this is an arena size show, but you can still it's it's mixed in stereo, so you know Dave is on one side, you know Adrian's on the other. Um, the drums are are pretty good; they're not in your face, but everything's there. It's pretty even for the most part, yeah. You and I, and I I do really like that you can he- distinctly hear the guitars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, they're on either side, etc. It feels like you're at a show. Right. My big gripe. Is it honestly feels like Bruce is too low in the mix? You think so? Uh, yeah, he he's he's not particularly loud. The instrumental is more up in your face, and if you listen to it again, think about it. Mm-hmm. He sounds a little bit quiet. I get that. I I, I can understand that. I could see that for, for for some of the songs, and I think that had a lot to do with. I don't know if it's necessarily the compression behind behind the 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 final you know um, two track mix down. It could be just the overall thing to fit everything in there, you know, instead of giving Bruce that extra oomph, they just kind of left, leveled it off and, and made it nice and yeah. equal for everybody. Yeah. I mean, I just would like to have seen him a little bit, or heard him a little bit right. more. Right. I get what you're saying. Up in the front. Does it feel alive? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, uh, we kind of covered that before. Mm-hmm. Definitely feels live. It really mimics the feeling of a show. One of the things about this album is they played everything again at light speed. And that goes to the energy of the album from Aces High to 
Flight of Flight of Icarus is played like it sounds like it's on a forty five. Yeah, it's record. awesome. <laughs> and and nobody likes it that way. I think it was uh, Steve who wanted it that way, and the band was kind of like, "Really? Do we have to?" And then of course, when you get into the live setting, probably Nick go, you know, jams it a little bit quicker, and all of a sudden they're off to the races. Yep. Fans, most fans don't have a problem with that. Well, I like it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't have a problem with it. Uh, so what did you think of the set list? Well, being the fact that it's it's a virtual replica of what they had, I've got no problem with it. I mean, I may have just looking back on it as a fan when I went to the show, I I would have loved for them to have played other songs. Those songs actually appear on side four, which was played live in Hammersmith. Yeah. Not a fan of the fact that they didn't play it for me, but the fact that it's on the... On but the, it's on the album. Right. I mean, on, that's the, what we're talking right, about. The fact that it's on the album yeah. is pretty cool, but I would wish that I would have heard it live at the time. You know, for what, what I what you hear on side one, two, and three, that is the concert that I saw. The only difference, I think, was they had um, uh, Sanctuary, which was which is not on, on, on the first three sides, because I think it's on side four. Yeah. And they played Lost for Words. Right after two minutes to midnight, I think it was, and it was funny because Bruce made a comment about he goes he goes well they they forgot about the, the lyrics on this one, <laughs> lost for words and he walks off stage you know and then they play it. Yeah, I mean I I love the set list. It's uh, it's a really good representation of everything that that they had done up till that point. I love hearing the Paul Diano stuff. I think it's a solid set list. Mm-hmm. It's an excellent set list, especially for the time. So what's the highlight for you? <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Say, you gotta pick one. <laughs> I gotta say this though. This is funny. So, I'm gonna pick one as my final. But you got this is highlight. You gotta do away with all these honorable no, mentions. It's the rhyme of the ancient mariner is a song that reminds you what not to do when a bird shits on you. <laughs> okay, um, running free clocks in eight and a half minutes with with uh, all the uh, call and response between Bruce and the audience. Both of those are excellent versions. But that definitely helps it feel live, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. My highlight is Revelations. Okay. I love that song in general. I was so happy to hear it when we went to see Legacy of the Beast. This version uh, that's on this record, very quick, sped up, definitely. You you hear when he builds the crowd in, and you hear the crowd go up and down with every time. Cause, yeah. And, and, and if... I was at the show, so I remember when Bruce was at the front holding the guitar, and, and it, the way you see it on the video, where he raises the guitar up and the crowd cheers, and he raises it down, the crowd cheers, and it goes up and down. I was there, I saw it, so it was so cool. cool. Yeah, you know, and to hear it on the record, it's just like this is awesome. Uh, for me, I'm gonna go with Phantom of the Opera. It's uh, it's the ender of the whole show. Mm-hmm. It's it's such a cool song, and to hear it live with Bruce, I mean, I wanted, I really wanted to pick. Hollow Be Thy Name. Because I love that song. It's probably my favorite Iron Maiden song. It's always hard for me to pick my favorite Iron Maiden song. Right. But uh, what's so cool about this one is it just... Paul and, and Bruce are two completely different guys. And they never tried to be the same. I mean, obviously, he never tried to be like Bruce because he wasn't in the band. Right. But Bruce never tried to be the same as Paul. No, he never did. But he brought something to it that was so unique and still captured the feeling of those first couple albums. Yes, for sure. And so I, I just love hearing him do that version of that song. And, and it's also a quick version, too. It's a quick version, which it's already, a, you know. It's a long song. Yeah, it's a long song, so they, and it's a complicated song. Yeah, and they knock so, off a thirty, probably 30 seconds off of it. Yeah, it's very but cool. It's not The only thing, the only reason why I see that side four, 
so similar to how you um, it, there's there's nothing about site four that says this is an encore. It mm-hmm. is not. Yeah. It is literally an add-on. I get that. Yeah. You know, so there's there was there was to me there's always been a disconnect between the first three sides and side four. Yeah. You know, it's almost like you're you're watching bonus stuff, and really mm-hmm. that's what it was. Even though it was given to you on the on the vinyl record, the cassette was different, which was really weird. I think the cassette only had size one, two, and three. Yeah. I'm not positive. Then later on, the CD only had size one, two, and three. So it had from Aces High all the way through Running Free. And then when they re-released it in 99, they added the four songs back in the way it should have been. Gotcha. You know, a little disappointing when I went to get the CD. I'm like, well, where's, you know, where's Phantom? I mean, that's one of my favorite songs. Yeah. <laughs> you know? To me, I probably wouldn't have picked that song only because... I didn't even think about those songs, even though that's one of my favorite songs. Yeah. But kudos to you. It's a great song and a great version. It's just such a good version of it that it's hard for me not to put it up there on on the top. Right. All right. So grade? A plus. A plus. (laughs) I don't even have to ask. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let me me take that back. It's an A because A plus would have been like, if it would have sounded like Ozzy's album and play and and been this whole thing it probably would have been an A plus. I'm giving it an A plus but it's like the bottom A plus. <laughs> it's like a 96. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it's not a lot that you can say that's bad about it for sure. Yeah, I absolutely love that album and all all these definitely give a listen. Um, oh yeah, for if sure. you haven't heard them I'm assuming you have but if you haven't Definitely give each one a listen. It, even the ones that I didn't grow up with, I didn't you know love like Kiss Alive. I definitely found something to enjoy about them. Refreshing myself with with the Aussie album that I haven't heard in several years it was a great experience. I've listened to UFO Strangers of the Night more than I have in probably about ten years. Yeah, me too. Unleashed in the East. It's just a solid classic. Mm-hmm. And what's cool about it is if you're a fan from the newer era. You know anything from from a British Steel British Scream- Steel going yeah. on? This is a great way to listen to those early early tracks without having to go back and kind of suffer through some <laughs> of the the production. Right, exactly. One thing I do want to say about this whole the, the whole live album thing is that for those of you listening, you may have noticed that all of these albums are relatively old. There's nothing newer than 1985. That's not because we don't like new live albums it's because the new live albums don't do it they don't have that same energy um there are so many classic live albums especially in the 70s but there's so many classic live albums that came out from some of these classic bands that it's hard to sit there and pick a new ones out because the new ones don't have that same vibe they don't have that same energy for that for that matter i mean the newer bands yeah i mean if you talk like i was just listening to the new amon amarth album uh, live album, excuse me. As good as Amon Marth is, and as as high energy as their show is, okay, it doesn't have that vibe. Maybe if I saw the video that went along with it, I think a lot of that has to do with the production too. That too, I because I I would say like I listened to Alter Bridges. Uh, I, can't I like remember. their I like their live albums. There's Amsterdam, and then there's the Wembley. Royal Hall. The, oh, the Royal Hall one. Yeah, and it's, they've got an orchestra playing with mm-hmm. them. And I do feel like there's a lot of energy there. Oh, yeah, but, on that one for, for sure. But what I don't like about it is the production is just so clean. I, but and, that, that, and that's that's a product of today's environment. Yeah. With with digital technology, there's not a, you don't get a lot of the ambience mm-hmm. that you would normally get. 
which is why people like vinyl. I mean, they got a guy sitting there changing the levels, taking in the sound that it's not doing the same thing like what we talked about with Iron Maiden. It's not doing the same thing that you get out of right. Ozzy. Exactly. You know, you're not getting the, the like anytime you're raising the level of the crowd and lowering the level level of the crowd to that extent, it doesn't feel as live. Right. No, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, it's we, we're not trying to nitpick on, on the newer bands. Oh, you know? A little bit. A, a little bit. I mean, I mean, Guns N' Roses has a live album out. Motley Crue has a live album out. And again, these are older bands, but they, they, their live albums come out later. Yeah. But if you listen to them, you can tell that they're way overproduced. You could tell they're way overmixed. You could tell half of it's fake. Yeah. So it's, it's, hard, it's hard to pick those as being great live albums. But they also came out at a time when the the era of the live album was kind of like, eh, not, not so much. It's one of the reasons I like Alter Bridge in their live albums. Um, they have a thing about putting out a live album almost after every tour. That band has so much energy and so much love for what they do mm-hmm. that I, it, I mean, I really enjoy their live stuff. It's great. Right. And, and much and like, I, even though I'm criticizing it, it's a small criticism. Oh, it's a small criticism. I, and I love their live at Wembley show. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they're probably one of the exceptions as far as good live albums are concerned for, for today's artists. I haven't heard, you know, Disturbed hasn't released a live album. They've got a couple of songs on a uh, a, uh, a compilation that came yeah. out called Music for a Weapon, uh, Music as a Weapon Tour that they did many years ago. Godsmack put out a good live album. That was a pretty good one, but it doesn't compare to what these classics were. But yeah. that's actually a pretty good one. But, you know, and they also did studio tracks at the end, but those studio tracks were all covers. So they there's some good live albums out there, you know. Slash did a cool one Slash, a few years back. Yes, Slash did. You know, he's he's another one who's put out a live album after each tour, and that's a product of today's environment. So you're almost getting overloaded with these live albums because the product of today's environment, where no one's making money off of record sales. Yeah. Okay. So why do they keep putting out these live albums? Because they need to put something out in the market to keep them their name in the public eye yep. while they're making a new record in between. So there's taking two two to three years to make a new record, but you want to keep your your name out there. So they throw a live product out there so it's out there. Unlike Kiss, that had nine, 13 records out at one time in a <laughs> three-year span. Iron Maiden does the same thing. You know, it, Although I was kind of disappointed that, that they haven't, they didn't do anything. Uh, the video wasn't publicly released for Book of Souls. I wish they would have actually done for the... Um, the tour that they did before Book of Souls, which was reminiscent to the Seventh Son tour, they released the old Made in England yeah. that came out in '80. I want I want to see the new one because they had some really cool tracks on there, and they they did throw in Fear of the Dark, even though that came after. There were some good tracks on there, and I would have liked to have seen that show or an audio or video. Maiden's been doing more videos after these tours, uh, so I like that because I like to see the visual that I just got to see again. That's cool. But anyway, I digress. All right, so I mean, we we've covered a lot of really good, great live albums from the mostly from the seventies and eighties. We'll have to pick up later and do some yeah, we'll some do more a, modern. Yeah, we'll do a modern albums. episode of live albums. Yeah, uh, but right now we're gonna transition over to what should you be listening to? I'm gonna start it off with uh, "Dawn of the Fifth Era" by Moore's Principium Est. I know that's kind of a crazy name. They're a, a, a band from Norway sound a lot like at the gates if you're familiar with at the gates kind of the start of the gothenburg sound mixed with dark tranquility more of like dark tranquility's current sound but more technical 
And what's kind of cool about this album was it's the second album since really fantastic, I used a different word, not phenomenal, uh, really fantastic uh, guitarist Andy Gillian joined the band. He's from England. And their other guitarist is from France. So they have a lot of different aesthetic sound choices that kind of create a really unique sound for this band. And I definitely recommend checking out that one and really the album before it as well. But this, this to me, uh, there's a couple highlights. Uh, Leader of the Titans and We Are the Sleep. Very cool song. Check those out. If they get you hooked, listen to the whole album. Go back through their whole discography. Fantastic band. I've never heard of them. That's probably because they're just not very well known here yet. I mean, I've heard of some of the other bands that you mentioned in there that they sound like. But I had never heard of these guys before. Yeah, and that's why I'm trying to promote them because they they really are just a great band. That's cool. My band is not as unknown as as uh, this band that you chose. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. I'm I'm getting over being sick, so yeah, I'm and powering through this. You're a trooper. I picked Wasp's second album, The Last Command. Again, that shows me my age and all, how I like older stuff. But the second album from Wasp, The Last Command, has a, it, it wasn't as well known as uh, as their first album. It did do well. They did have some really good songs on MTV from it. But it's so, I mean, Wasp has been so out of the limelight for so many years that it's almost, uh, they're almost irrelevant now um they only tour in europe they don't come to the united states even though blackie's american he's from uh, uh, he's from new york but he lives in la i chose this album because i like a lot of the songs in the album it was a really cool album at the time i mean, I, I love wild child that's such a yeah, cool song wild child is my favorite in wasp song in fact alexi Lyo from children of bottom his nickname was wild child because he's a huge Wasp fan. See, that's real cool. Yeah. And so there's there's songs on here that are not well known, but they're really cool songs. Like Fistful of Diamonds, Widowmaker is a little bit slower song. It's almost like a really heavy ballad type of thing. Blind in Texas. Is, Blind in Texas is a, is a single, though. I mean, right, it was a single for yeah, them. It's a know. pretty big one. Right, it was a big one at the time. But they it hits become, home here. <laughs> because we're in Texas. And that's really and in the way they mention all the cities is pretty cool and throughout mm-hmm. the song. The Last Command itself was a good song. I mean, these these were all really good songs. It was a solid second album. It was such a departure because the first album was so angry, it was so it was aggressive and nasty. Very and aggressive. Dirty. Exactly. Yeah. And and the second album goes to be polished and it's almost to a degree it's almost a nice blackie lawless. Um, but it's still, still a really good album. A very good album. So if you if you get a chance and you ever find it in, in stores or online, check it out. It's a really good album. Wild Child and Blind in Texas being the highlights. All right, so we are up to the big four. What is your big four anthems for this week? All right. Uh, so I'm going to go with uh, number four as Skid Row, Youth Gone Wild. I forgot about that one. It, Although it, I probably wouldn't have picked it. You know what, growing up with them at the time and being a kid when the song came out, I remember seeing them on Saturday Night Live. They're, you know, up there doing all doing the windmill, you know, it just it looked so cool. And I just you know, we're the youth gone wild. It just it's, That's an awesome it, song. You know, even now he still chants Youth Gone Wild at every show. Mm-hmm. I mean it it's such a cool song. Uh for number three, Scorpions, Rocky Like a Hurricane. 
Rock you like a hurricane. Uh, I mean, who hasn't heard that song a billion times? Uh, <laughs> it's one that I don't get tired of. A lot of the ones you hear at sporting events, you know, a thousand times over and over again, get old and tiresome. I don't really get tired of that one. So no. it's uh, it's definitely in my top four, and uh, it's representative of that peak era of uh, Scorpions, in my mm-hmm. opinion. For sure. No, definitely. Um, number two, Cowboys from Hell. Pantera, really? Yeah, See, I don't know if I would have put that as an anthem. I mean, they're declaring that they're the the Cowboys from Hell. You know, they are. We're, but it's, we're it, here, but it's not a very like to me. Anthems are a chanty kind of song where you you chant stuff. You know, and, and that doesn't come. Although I'm not going to take away from you, it is a cool song. See, I don't even have to say words. I just look at him and he's <laughs> defending himself. No, but it's your choice. You know, I wouldn't have picked it, but I love. I it's my favorite Pantera song. It's a tough call to pick between that and Walk. I mean, Walk is, mm-hmm. is just so in your face. But Cowboys from Hell, it just it it's a statement. Mm-hmm. It's starting that that era of Pantera, basically saying these are two different bands. We're here. This is the, we're the Cowboys from Hell. This is what you're going to expect from now on. And that's I, I see it as an anthem. Okay. So. Uh, Dio, Last in Line. That's my number one. The Last in Line. Yeah, it, it starts off so soft. Mm-hmm. You know, reaches that pitch, right? You know, a lot of fervor in the song. What I what I love about it now, in retrospect, after his passing, is it just has such such a a, a large amount of emotion in the song. It just it makes me think about you know his entire life, his career, now the effect that he had on fans. It's just a strong song. I love the cover that Jack Black did of it, too. That's awesome. It's so awesome. The, I mean, who would have thought of a flute solo? Oh, and yeah. It, and it works. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I mean, it's awesome. I almost find it comedic, and I may, I think, I'm pretty sure that's why they did it. It is because they're agree, Because they're a comedy but... routine. The, the two guys, I mean, uh, uh, Tenacious D, I mean, it's, it's supposed to be comedy. Yeah, but at the same time. But it comes still... across so well. Yeah, he, love he's that. paying tribute to yeah, one of I, his heroes. I love that version of the song. Yeah. So, yeah. Those are my four. Okay. And as you're talking about your four, I'm still trying to change my four. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go with number four, Zaxxon's Denim and Leather. Okay. Um, That is... That's a huge anthem. It's an anthem for the youth as far as, you know, how they felt growing up and and, and going to concerts and wanting to be that rock band. And and it, it, it says so much about the time as well as even now, kids still want to do that. Kids still go to shows. Kids still wear the the battle vests, oh, yeah. you know. And it's it's. I mean, kids do. Well, kids. Yeah, the adults still adults have, do. Yeah. <laughs> the adults still have those battle battle yeah. vests, you know. It, it, it's exactly. I mean, we're standing next to the forty year old guy in the battle vest and you know, long long hair and you know waving the flag for metal. Yeah, I mean it's for sure. Uh, that's what the song is all about. That that song is almost like the battle vest itself. That's my number four. My number three song is going to be Wasp, I Want to Be Somebody. I see your eyes darting around your page. Because <laughs> I don't know which one's number one or two. Um, Wasp, I Want to Be Somebody is my number three because that opens up the, their first album in 1984. It, it's, a, it's a great song. It's a statement. It tells you right off the bat, I want to be somebody. I want to be a rock star. I mean, it may have been more it about It opens that. up the album, but it doesn't open up the original version of the album. No, it does. The original ver- that That is the original version of the album. A, well, 
Animal was not included on the original version. It was supposed to be. It was supposed to be. Yeah. But, uh, they, yeah. but it, it never That's came. That's what I mean by original version. <clears throat> right. The original version was what was never pressed, I guess. Right, yeah. yeah. Most fans don't know that Animal yeah. was supposed to be the first song. Yeah, I want to be somebody. Just that drum roll right into the this, this song. I mean, there's no song intro. There's no... I mean, it goes straight to the to the verse within three seconds with a drum roll. Boom, great. And it just slaps you in the face. Yeah. And then the record really doesn't stop until it gets to the end um so that's my number three my number two it was number one but it, it dropped to number two number two is kiss rock and roll all night okay okay and it's the live version of kiss alive because it has the guitar so it sounds better it says more it's it's a bit it's a better statement i mean it, i think it's enough said i mean that he says it enough times in the song I mean, to he is, clarify what he's talking about. Right. He has said it enough times. Rock and Roll All Night is the national anthem of rock and roll. Hard rock, heavy metal, however you want to call it. But he says rock and roll. It's a rock and roll national anthem. There's nothing else to say about it. Number one for me is ACDC's For Those About to Rock. We salute you. Because nothing else says thank you to the fans. Like a giant cannon. Like like a giant cannon blowing up. <laughs> waking up the drunk guy next to me who fell asleep for the whole show. Oh, jeez. Such a sad, sad statement. Had that happen in Iron Maiden. The guy was asleep by the second song. Did not wake up until the end of the show. It was cra- like, how do you miss the whole show because you're drunk? That's what happened to me with ACDC. Yeah. And then the guy wakes up because he hears the first bomb. <laughs> okay, he hears the first bomb hit. That's even better with the explosion. <laughs> Wakes up and then decides to vomit in his friend's lap. Oh no! Oh yeah. And the reason I say lap is because we were so far back, we were in the upper deck. Yeah. That you know most people were sitting down. There was nobody standing up at that point. And yeah, he <clears throat> all over his friend. It was incredible. That's a, that's a memory right there. Oh, that's, I'll never forget it. 1985. Fantastic. <laughs> so ACDC's for those about to rock, my number one anthem song because it is a true dedication to the fans. So there you have it. All right, that's it for Debating Metal this week. Chris, tell them how they can listen to us. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you consume your podcasts. If you enjoyed our show and agreed with our opinions or just want to rip us a new one, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Or you can go the old school way and email us at debatingmetal at gmail.com. That's it for us. I'm Chris K, And on behalf of Kenneth Dean, we'll see you next week.